Jay. I'm Wes. And I'm Frankie. Thank you for listening to the Grill Coach Podcast. Oh, yes, it's about that time to light it up and go outside. We're chilling, grilling up sides and drinks, rubs and recipes of cooking techniques. Outdoor cooking, grilling, smoke, and barbecue. So much flavor to teach and learn and share with you. Grill Coach's Podcast. your host of the Girl Coach Podcast, and I'm here with my co-host, Wes and Frankie, and welcome to episode number two. In this episode, we aim to talk about the differences between grilling and barbecue. But first, let's talk about our highlights this week in grilling and barbecue. Who'd like to go first? I think you would, Jay. What's your, uh, what's your highlight this week? All right, you got me on a good day because I pulled out of our freezer Six incredibly large beef bones. Dinosaur bones? Dinosaur bones. Yes, sir. These are beef back ribs. And what I did tonight, got my knife out. I trimmed them. They have a lot of fat on the top of it. So I I trimmed that fat off. And then they also have a lot of silver skin. And I worked to get a lot of that silver skin out. I don't I don't do beef ribs very often. Do they do those things have membranes like the pork ribs do? You know, they don't have a membrane like the pork do, but they do have still a lot of fat and some kind of other it's similar to the membrane, but it's not the same thing. But also on the beef ribs, there's like no meat on the bottom of it. It's just all that meat is just on the top. So uh Sometimes I even debate how much do I want to mess with that? Because in the end of the day, it's like some of that's really holding the integrity of the, the beef together. So it's like, I worry about losing that. What'd you cook them on? I didn't cook them. Not yet. I tonight was get them prepped and ready. So after I got them trimmed, you know, these beef ribs, they have so much marbling in them and it just looks so pretty. And it almost looks like you kind of want to eat it right there. And I sprinkled some kosher salt on them kind of right across. And I put them in a pan and put them in the refrigerator where they'll sit in there overnight. And uh, tomorrow night, I plan on cooking those for dinner. What time's dinner? What should I bring? (laughs) (laughs) I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I didn't know what to say. So I was like, I don't want to fumble through something. <laughs> but that was a good point, though. <laughs> I did have a question about something you said, because I, like Wes, also don't cook a lot of beef ribs. I do a lot of pork ribs. But you said silver skin. Is that what you mean when you talk about marbling or those two different things? Nope. So the silver skin, I mean, it, it really looks, it, it really does look silver. But you can tell it is kind of like a really sinewy, kind of almost like plastic, you know, almost like a wrap. And it's weird because sometimes it's there's a layer of fat and it'll be underneath that fat. And you'll just see that on there. And that silver skin right there is something that you might see on the bottom of uh, ribs, pork ribs. And so it's something like really similar. Sometimes you'll see them on pork loins, too, or something like that. But again, we got to trim everything we get. And so with that silver skin, I want to just get that off of there. So it's really tricky because it's like you want to get that knife and get the tip of the knife to try to get it right under there because I don't want to cut away all that luscious meat. I want to try to keep as much of that as I can. But again, I want a nice, clean surface palate that can create some really good bark and flavor on the outside of it. So I've, I've got kind of a pro tip when removing silver skin, at least for ribs that I don't know if everybody knows about, but I'll often start it with the knife and I'll grab a paper towel which will help me grip that silver skin or that membrane, if you will, and then it'll easily pull right off. It'll let you grip that uh, and pull it off pretty easily. I don't know. Is that the same for beef ribs? So with beef ribs, when I do pull on it, sometimes the meat actually sticks to that silver skin. And so I do rather try to cut away with it because 
it kind of pulls some of that meat off of there. And just especially with beef ribs, I really don't want to like lose more meat than I can. Beef ribs are, I mean, they're fairly expensive. They're big. They take a long time to cook. And, and a lot of times there's a lot of fat on them and heavy bones. So it's, that meat is precious. And so I'm trying to keep as much of it as I can. So how about you, Frankie? Let's see. I let, last night I grilled up some pork ribs. Um, it's usually what one of my go to during the weeks. Um, pretty straightforward this time. You know, I started a little late, though. I've been having a bunch of late night Zoom meetings and calls. So I got yelled at a bit because we didn't eat dinner till 10 o'clock oh, <laughs> last wow. night. Yeah, I always uh, underestimate. I'm on underestimate the amount of time it's going to take to cook uh the ribs so maybe i need to revise my technique but it was I gotta good, ask. So it was worth it <laughs> i gotta ask what style of rib did you cook uh <laughs> i do not know Spares or <laughs> I, baby backs uh oh, spare ribs spare ribs yeah not good baby man. backs. okay <laughs> all right <laughs> Spare ribs are, are are my favorite between spare ribs and baby backs. How about you, Wes? Yeah, I'm a spare rib kind of guy myself. Um, I used to be all baby backs. I don't know what it is about the spare rib. I think it's the more surface area. Get more rub on them. Take on more smoke. I don't know. I don't understand the science behind it, but I love spare ribs. But now the thing, too, is, is that with the spare ribs, I want to have them St. Louis cut where you have the brisket bone of the rib on top of that cut off. Did you have the St. Louis cut, Frankie? Uh, I do not. I do not know. I don't think so. You are on the right show, buddy, because you're going to be learning. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, so so interesting with the whole St. Louis rib. And sometimes you eat that. That rib is really long, and at the top of it is a lot of gristle and kind of bone and stuff like that. And it's if you really kind of look at it and think about it, it's almost like two different pieces of meat. And because your spare rib, the St. Louis style, you pretty much don't have a lot of gristle in there. And all your meat is usually to the side of the bone, not necessarily on the top. At the top of the rig rack, that's where you have a lot of the gristle. And so... If you have a whole rack of spare ribs, the ideal thing to do in my house is to cut that off and I cook them separately. So I cut that off. So you have a St. Louis cut rack of ribs and then you have this spare piece, I guess you could say, off the top of there. Once is, that, you cook, is that the rib tips? Is that what that's that, called? And that's what you get. That's what you make the rib tips out of. You oh, beat me to the punch. But yeah. <laughs> so that piece of meat right there takes longer to cook than the rest of the rib because it's so much more gristle and connective tissue in there. That's why you want to cook that longer. So I cook it the same time as I'm cooking the rib. And then when I pull my ribs off, I will take that rib tip and I will chunk it up into usually like one inch size cubes or something like that. And I'll put them in a pan, put some sauce on it and I'll put it back on the smoker for another two, three hours and sort of really let all that connective tissue break down. And I, and when I'm biting on it, I don't want it to have be real bouncy. I want it to just be super tender. And then that gristle, that gristle should be able to just come clean off. And it's like a nice pearly white when you're done. Nice. How about you, Wes? Um, I did some grilled flap steak carne asada tacos a couple of nights ago and that was actually the first time i've done that i've never bought that cut of meat before um i have bought um like i don't know at the local grocery store they do have they label it sometimes meat for carne asada or i don't remember what's on the label but this time i bought the flap steak um choice by the way um marinated grilled it over charcoal and uh, cut it, cut it up real nice against the grain, and served it on some tortillas with a little bit of cilantro, onions, and and uh, jalapeno with some homemade salsa, and it was fantastic. I heard you drop a line in there. You said choice. What do you mean by that? 
you know what I mean by that. That is a better grade of meat. Um, if I can find it, I'll buy choice. And if it's a good buy, I'll buy prime meat uh, if it's available. Um, it's usually um, got a little bit more, I guess, marbling to it. Um, I really don't understand all that goes into how they grade choice and prime meat. I just know that it's a better quality piece of meat. So from what I understand, and I could be corrected, is the USDA, they actually take a certain set of cows or a batch of cows, and once they're sort of butchered, they'll usually look at one part of the cow, and based on the marbling of that, like for instance, they'll cut out a ribeye steak, and they'll look at that ribeye steak, and they'll look at the marbling of that, and then they sort of have different grade levels. So your lowest level is select. That means the USDA sort of seen it. It's not going to be very flavorful or tender, but it is going to be your cheaper meats. And for some regards, at least the USDA looked at it. Um, the next level up is then choice. Choice is going to be a little bit more marbly, also a little bit more expensive. And it's kind of like, I would say kind of like, that's a Costco basic, right, Wes? Yeah, yeah, it is actually. Um, at least for the beef. Do they, uh, I don't think they do choice pork or chicken. At least I've no. never seen it. No, they only grade the beef, yeah. And then uh, the prime level, the prime level is one of the most kind of marble. And uh, it's a world of difference sometimes you might see between the select, the choice, and the prime. Now, these things are not scientifically kind of proven. And I know that one time I bought some steaks from Walmart. And I think you, Wes, have the one told me about it. And they were labeled choice steaks. But if you really looked at the marbling on those things, those were like prime grade level steaks. And prime grade is a lot more expensive. Yeah, it, it pays to have a good eye when choosing your meat at the grocery store or at the meat market, wherever you buy your meats, uh, you can, you can tell which ones are going to be good. And that marbling is flavor. Yes, sir. Now, the Wagyu or the American Wagyu or the Kobe, those have even more marbling and it can get really pricey, you know, when you get some of those type things. Um, but it's, a uh, some of it is fantastic. So uh, we got a bunch of feedback from our first episode, guys. Um, and then I had some questions that came up uh, from our listeners. Um, Thank you, listeners. Yay, feedback. Yes. Yeah. So uh, first question is uh, for both of you guys. Um, we had a listener ask, what music was that? Oh, right. I got the answer for this one. So I have a friend here locally. He's run a band, I don't know, for probably 20 years locally. And he's they put out several albums. And I know that even their, their soundtrack is on one of the Netflix shows. But he's helped me out in the past project where we actually created a music video for some nerdy engineering stuff. But it was fun. Trust me. <laughs> uh, I reached out to him and said, hey, you know, I really like this song. I really feel like it gives a good barbecue sort of vibe. You're just sitting out back with friends and family in a cold one. And uh, can we get that instrumental? And uh, he came through again. He's a, he's a great dude. The band is called 40 Watt Hype. I know their music is on Spotify. I have several songs that are in my rotation. Very I'll cool. Put their, I'll put their link in the show notes. Awesome. Um, and then a uh, question for Jay. Uh, you mentioned that you use less salt rubs when you do your burgers. Um, what kind of less salt rubs are there out there and how can we buy those? That gets tricky for me. I'm the type of person that I like to have a lot more control over what I'm cooking. So I typically don't like to buy too many rubs on the market. A lot of rubs on the market, when you taste them, they taste 
a heavy filled with salt. And I know that salt is probably the cheapest filler. So in these rubs that you get, I feel like a lot of times they just put a lot of salt in them and maybe throw some other spices on them and you'll like them and it's good because salt is good on meats and proteins. So it's kind of like I usually want to try to be very carefully selective when I'm getting some some rubs. So I, I taste them, you know, and I want to like make sure that I taste something and I want to make sure that, OK, this one is too salty. I might not want to mix this one in, but this one has these other notes or something like that. So I'm trying to mix those kind of flavors, but I'm kind of constantly tasting what it is I'm doing and trying to imagine the, the ending output. You ever make your own rub? Yes, I have. Um, I feel like it's a, it fits my taste. It fits my profile. And I learned it about the concept from a barbecue competition cook. And it's, it's plain Jane down the middle. It's, you know, it's not too sweet. Doesn't, it's not too spicy. It doesn't have any off-putting flavors, but it, it just works well on chicken and pork, especially, and it's delicious. And so it's just uh, something that I'm just so accustomed to doing, but when I can get my ingredients and throw those together and uh, I make that rub. I think you need to share that on the blog one of these days. One of these days. Got to go to thegrillcoach.com. Your rub is really good. Awesome. Uh, next question for Jay. Uh, also in regard to the burgers, you mentioned that you reverse sear your burgers. Uh, what temperature do you reverse sear your burgers to before putting them on the direct side? So I typically have them on the indirect side. Mainly I want to get some smoke on them and I want to bring them up to temperature. So that way when I do sear them off, I know that the inside is cooked at a good enough temperature or a well enough temperature. So many times you got so many people who are eating them. They like a little more done, a little less, a little less done, but I usually shoot for 110 on the burgers. And it's a very kind of a loose 110 because I'm so concerned about those points. And, and that 110, it's not a very exact thing. As I explained kind of in the burgers before, there's a lot of air pockets in that burger because I don't pack it down and it's not super dense. So that temperature that you're getting, I feel like there's going to be some variance there. And so it's not so crucial. If, if that 110 got up to 120, that's not going to kill my burger. Similar to when, Wes, you talked about your chicken thighs. It When you're cooking it reverse sear and you're cooking a burger like that, it is very forgiving. It's not like you have to get right at a certain temperature to make it good. So I'll usually shoot for 110. And then when I'm at 110, I'll leave the kettle. I'll usually do them on the Weber kettle. I'll leave the kettle open and then I'll let the just charcoal. I'll let it just get all the oxygen it can now and get super hot before then I put them over there. So to be honest with you, it's probably hotter than 110 before I move it over to the direct side. Because they're cooking a little bit even after uh, you've let them uh, kind of rest. You don't actually take them off the grill, do you? No, nope. They're just sitting on the indirect side. Now the cool side since you've taken the lid off, right? Yep. Now you make a good point though. Even then when you do take them off, because they get so much heat while they're on the cooker, they're still emitting heat. So even when you do pull them off, those things, the temperature in the patties can still rise, you know, so it's a it's a very wide range market. But now those things are emitting the heat as soon as you pull them off. And then for our listeners, what temp should you cook your burger to? I like to cook mine to like 140. You know, that's probably 135 with beef is, is sort of like on the rare. But I usually don't want to cook it too much. So if I can kind of know if I'm at 140 at the lowest, because I'll poke it with the thermometer a couple of times. And I'm kind of looking at like 140 at the least. And that's like a kind of a medium burger? Yeah, you would say, yeah, it's almost kind of like a medium. Yeah. That sounds great. It's delicious, I tell you. Uh, Frankie, uh, I got one for you. Uh, some, a listener asked, could you share your chili mix rub as well as the aioli? Yeah, absolutely. So I start with my 
The chili rub is just a simple mixture of any kind of dried chili you might have in your pantry. I always have a variety uh, in mind just because I make a lot of moles. Um, but I use you know, chili de arbol or ancho chili. If you don't have any of those, some red pepper flakes will work just as fine. Um, but you just toast the chilies a bit, grind them up. Uh, and then you co coat that along with some olive oil, a little bit of salt, pepper, lemon zest uh, into the, the shrimp for a couple of minutes. Let it hang out while you make the aioli. Uh, you can use a mayonnaise nice. base. Or if you're feeling super adventurous, you can make your own aioli. I'm kind of perfecting a recipe I'll have to sh share on the blog soon. Um, yeah, you're definitely going to have to share that. Yeah, it's super tasty. Um, so to the mayonnaise, you can add some lemon juice, lemon zest, a little bit of salt and pepper, any other kind of um, seasoning you might want to add into that. Um, and then I also, and then I cook the shrimp over some direct heat for a couple of minutes, um, along with some lemon, um, platter it up and then, and then serve. It's pretty easy. Um, it looks beautiful and the crowd always loves it. It sounds great, Frankie. Very nice. Yeah. Do you grill that lemon? Like sometimes I see in the Instagram posts for people. Yeah, I grill I'll, I'll like a, cut a little sliver off of each side of the lemon uh, and then grill those just to give it some nice char uh, marks on it and then serve that face up on the platter. Just serve it over your shrimp. Is there yeah, anything I'm, special you got to do to get that char? Uh, so I just put it over, you know, you're going to want to put it flush side down on over some direct heat. And as long as it's hot, hot enough, it should char up pretty quickly. It should only take a couple minutes uh, to get it. I bet that looks great too. I'm a yeah. firm believer that uh, you also eat with your eyes. So if it looks good, I'm I'm sure that that helps some. I don't know if I have the patience to make it look all pretty like that. I just want to get in. <laughs> <laughs> so Wes, I have a question for you. In our last episode, I know we talked about some cookers that you use, and I know you spoke highly of your Weber kettle, the new one, and the emergency kettle, whatever you call it. Yeah, my backup. The backup, the backup. So uh, what other cookers do you use? Um, well, I have a PK grill. Uh, that's an excellent little charcoal grill. And then I think I, you have to explain that one to us. Yeah. <laughs> so you can check out PK grills on the Internet. It's um, they're They've been around forever. Um, their claim to fame is the cooker itself. The body of it is all aluminum, so it'll never rust. And it's, uh, it gets hot real fast and some other technical stuff, but, uh, it's a great cooker. Uh, it's very versatile. Um, it's very economical when using, uh, certain types of fuel, like lump charcoal, that thing will cruise for long cooks if you need it. It's a grill, it's a smoker, it's PK stands for portable kitchen. So uh, I think they nailed it with that one. It, it is one of my favorite cookers too. Um, and it's pretty portable too, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I've taken it on several trips. Um, some trips with you actually. Um, I remember, I was jealous, still jealous. <laughs> I don't have one of those by the way, guys. Wifey, uh, you can get me one. Yeah, <laughs> they they are a bit pricier than your standard Weber kettle, but uh, uh, that's solid cooker. Um, it's a yeah, it's a solid cooker. I, I would recommend it. Um, another thing I have is uh, I have actually a couple. I have a 22 inch Weber Smoky Mountain cooker and then the small 14 inch Weber Smoky Mountain cooker. Um, that's what I use for barbecue when I'm not in the mood for grilling. I'm glad you brought that up because uh, today's topic, we're going to be talking about what's the differences between grilling and barbecue. Excellent. So for now, let's take a quick break and we'll get in that topic right after this. 
I'm Jay, your host of the Grow Coach Podcast. My co-host and I have created a new podcast where we aim to learn, teach, and share the amazing world of grilling and barbecue. I'm Frankie, and I'm here to learn tips and techniques to improve my outdoor cooking skills and to share those experiences so you too can have the opportunity to learn. You'll hear about the time I almost got fired for grilling tacos and about the first time I figured out how to light that charcoal grill. I'm Wes, and I'm here to teach some of the techniques that I've learned over the years to barbecue and grill. My goal is to learn new techniques and ways to cook outdoors. I want to build this community and share my journey with you. It doesn't have to be complicated or stressful to just enjoy the good stuff that comes with it. For me, it's all about having fun cooking outside for my friends and family. I'm here to share my grilling and barbecue experiences with you, the good ones and the bad ones. Even the time when I broke my favorite barbecue cooker and how it changed my life. And I want to teach. I want my experiences to be a guide for you to gain confidence when grilling and smoking. I want to learn from you cooks out there that are doing it well and that are knocking it out the park. So please listen to the Grill Coach Podcast. Join our community where we encourage people to cook outdoors with confidence so that you can create those memorable experiences where your friends and family enjoyed your food. And that's why our motto for this podcast is never miss an opportunity to get outside and grill. You can find more information on thegrillcoach.com or follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at The Grill Coach. All right, we're back. More to you from The Grill Coach Podcast. So as we left, we introduced a topic that we're going to be talking today about the differences between grilling and barbecue. So many times in this industry, we hear these two terms sort of interchanged and... I just kind of like to at least first hear from my co-hosts. What do you think is the difference between grilling and barbecue? So my initial thought when I hear grilling versus barbecue is that I associate barbecue with more of an event or more of an experience, whereas my initial thought of grilling is a very technique oriented thing. So if I'm kind of following that logic, I would say the difference between grilling and barbecue is that grilling is more so cooking over a direct heat source um so there's more technique involved in that whereas like barbecue is not um so are you saying that barbecue is more of an event where you might grill something at a barbecue that's my has always been yeah my initial kind of thought on on that yeah there's no right or wrong answers here (laughs) i think we're okay (laughs) (laughs) yeah so uh barbecue to me when I hear the word barbecue, I'm thinking low and slow. That's what I think of. And and Classic. grilling, I kind of echo Frankie. It's more, probably more technique. Uh, that's my everyday using the kettle, you know, direct heat and some combination of indirect and direct heat using that fire to uh, get right up on the meat. Awesome. So... I've been thinking about this topic a lot, you know, when we kind of uh, approach this. And one of the things I did want to kind of identify, especially what we're going to be talking about a lot on this podcast is is American style barbecue. Right. Because how many times have we heard about other other ethnicity and barbecue? So we're not going to do Korean barbecue ever. We can do a separate a, a separate episode for Korean barbecue. Absolutely. Okay. Good. Good. <laughs> but that's a great point. If you go to a a place and they say we have Korean barbecue, you're not going to get ribs or brisket or even chicken for that matter. You know, it's it's a it's almost a completely different thing. And at the Korean barbecue restaurants that I've ever really got to go to. It's it's its own experience where, you know, they even give you a little grill right there on your table and separate meats. And you're essentially grilling up your own meats and you eat them with a lot of sort of fantastic sides and this and that. But it's almost kind of like you guys were mentioning Korean barbecue is more of an experience where you're grilling something. So <laughs> it's kind of interesting. But uh I'm talking we're talking about America style barbecue. So we're talking ribs, brisket, chicken, uh, pork belly. We'll love to get into that one day. But items like that. But obviously, I'm trying to really let out that there's a lot here. And one of the things I want to say the differences is the temperatures. 
So I read in a book at one point in time, a good dividing line between grilling and barbecue was 300 degrees. If you're less than 300 degrees, now you're smoking or barbecuing. If you're more than 300 degrees, now you're grilling something. But I think it was uh, some kind of good dividing line. It's not necessarily what you're cooking, not the meat. The meat isn't the difference. Right. And this is this author's take on it. You know, I, I, I find that as much as I've done both of these, this line for me is very blurred in a lot of ways. And sometimes I just always call it barbecue, but sometimes I'm really just grilling. You know what I mean? But it, it is a very blurred thing. And that's why I thought it would be good to talk about this, you know, yeah. because the next thing I want to kind of talk about is just even the cooker type. Um, for instance, a gas grill. Can you barbecue on a gas grill? Can we take a vote on that? I would say yes. <laughs> I would. Yeah, I would say yeah to some degree. Yeah. See, maybe that degrees is uh see, that's the dividing line again. <laughs> so I would say <laughs> I, I would think you can't barbecue on a gas grill. I think you're grilling on a you know on a grill gas grill. But well if you go by uh what's his face's rules, it's just temperature, right? Yeah, well, so if you just go to low temperature, I mean well you can cook an egg like that. So <laughs> oh, I mean barbecued eggs. Barbecued eggs. I've never tried that one. <laughs> I heard it's a thing, but uh, the, yeah. So the cooker type, I think that really does play into it because some cookers are just actually really for the low and slow. And when we say low and slow, we're talking about low temperature and it takes a long time to cook. And so those type things are essentially just more smoking meats instead of grilling meats, I guess you could say. Yeah. So is there so, no difference between smoking a meat and barbecuing meat in your in your definition of this? Uh, I, I would say those are synonymous terms, smoking and barbecue. I would just say they're the same thing. But Wes is using big, fancy words that I think it <laughs> means the same thing. So, so, so are we being synon synonymous? Synonymous, like, yes. So, uh, Frankie, I got a question. When you use your gas grill... Do you impart, do you use something to impart some smoke flavor? Um, if you say liquid smoke, I'm going to get upset. Oh, <laughs> I think we have to hit mute buttons for the rest of the episode if he does that. No, I have not used, used that liquid smoke before. No, but um, I have a lot of folks who like to use smoke bombs or anything. I don't, what, what, I have not what, been able to do bomb? that yet. Is that where you like soak some wood? In some, uh, you know, liquid, and then you wrap it in some foil, and you put it over the the fire, and it smokes. In theory. Gotcha. <laughs> All right. <laughs> so, what are you doing when you're soaking the wood? Uh, so it just doesn't burn so quick, is my understanding of it. Have you? Neither one of you ever used a smoke bomb. <laughs> That's a big no from me. No. <laughs> well. I would tell you, I used I, to... I did used to soak my wood chips, but I don't do that anymore. And I don't know why. Maybe because I got lazy. I don't know. <laughs> well, I used to also smoke my wood chips. And not only did I smoke my wood chips, I used to get fancy with... You mean soak your wood chips? Yes. I mean, I used to also soak my wood chips. <laughs> but I used to get fancy with it, too. I would soak them overnight. And sometimes I would soak them in beer because I wanted to get more flavor. You know, I thought I was doing something with that. I've heard bourbon is good, too, but I I don't think I'd be able to use bourbon on something like that. Now, something I read from Meathead Goldwyn, it's the second episode in a row. I'm going to quote AmazingRibs.com. But he said that when we're soaking wood chips, the wood actually doesn't soak up the water or whatever the moisture and he I think he even said that's why they make boats out of wood because it won't <laughs> soak it up. <laughs> that makes too much sense. What? <laughs> yes. And and so the whole process of when you do make that smoke bomb or you do have that wet wood and you do get it up to temperature, what it does for first, it just smolders. And then that smoldering will create clouds of smoke. But it's not clean smoke that what you're looking for when you're trying to barbecue. 
And so, Wes, I think you not soaking your wood chips anymore. I think that's a good thing because you want the clean burn. You don't want to start smoldering and adding that kind of smoke into into your your cooking chamber. Frank, so try try it, Frankie. Smoke bomb. Yeah, yeah that Frankie, makes more sense that way. What is your process currently? Are you smoke bombing? Is that what you do? No, I've oh, I've only read about it, so it seems really interesting. But um, I'll I. We'll need to try it out. Maybe I'll do that this weekend and report back. We would love to hear your findings, especially since neither one of us has much experience with a gas grill. <laughs> Just drunken guy trips at, at timeshares. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so the other thing I want to kind of talk about cooker types, right? Some cookers are really just made for smoking. And one thing that we're going to get real heavy into one day is pellet cookers and pellet cookers are something new that's on the market. I wouldn't say new. I mean, they've kind of been around for 20 plus years, but really in the past two, three years, they've really been picking up a lot of steam where you're finding them a lot better. Now they're in the big box stores, Costco, triggers at Costco, right? Yep. And they're, they're doing the more demos. Also too, there's more competitors now used to be, there was just, you know, Traeger and maybe green mountain grill and maybe Louisiana grill. But now there's guys that are coming out with them, you know, more and more. I I was at Lowe's the other day and I saw a pit boss pellet cooker and this thing looked awesome. It looked incredible. Well, what exactly is a pellet cooker? So a pellet cooker, it essentially cooks compressed. I'm sorry, not cooks. It uses the heat and the smoke from compressed sawdust. And that sawdust, that compressed sawdust are in like little form of little pellets. I think they were actually first used as stoves to heat like places in the East Coast. And even like now, sometimes you might find where you can just find heating cooking pellets for those kind of stoves. But. All these things have similar kind of idea. There's a thermoprobe inside that's like reading the temperature of your chamber. You have your pellets that are in some kind of hopper or some kind of collection device. They will then move over and sort of get pushed over to some kind of hot plate or something like that. The real nice thing about a pellet cooker is that the compressed sawdust burns so easily and so crispy. It's clean smoke. It's not without even trying and the knock that a lot of guys do not like them is because there's not a lot of challenge with fire management with the pellet cooker it's essentially you make sure you got pellets on there and you dial the thing to the temperature you want you know so um it's almost like a cheat code right it, it is the cheat code yep so um but I would love to talk about those later, and that's not the topic of today's discussion, but it does. It is just a smoker. And right now I see these pellet cookers, they're marketing themselves as like we're a smoker and a grill. If you make these changes and you can grill on this pellet cooker. I I was going to ask you that because I've seen that, too. What What are they doing to make it a grill? I assume they get some direct heat, right? Somehow. Right. And I don't have too much information on some of these newer things that are coming out, but that pit boss grill I was looking at essentially below the cooking surface where the pellets go, there's sort of a couple chambers and it doesn't allow the direct heat to come straight up, but it sort of disperses the heat underneath the cooking surface and another plate. And then so I'm assuming you kind of remove your cooking surface, you make a change there on the plate, and then now you're getting some direct fire. But there's not, I don't think there's any one company that's kind of really got it done well yet. But I know that they're they're trying to make these all-in-one cookers, you know, so you could have the great smoker and the great grill, you know. I mean, we could just get a Weber kettle and call it a day, right, Wes? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> But I love my pellet cooker. So uh, I definitely see they are at the higher price points for sure. And um, I think that the, it's a great gateway drug into <laughs> barbecuing and smoking. You know, so uh, 
Yeah. So, so the other thing that, uh, that I was thinking about the difference between grilling and barbecuing is even just sort of the, the, is how is it, how is the meat itself changing? And you can let me know if I'm too off base with this, but the grill is essentially going to, you're going to char up, you're going to get something quick, you know, so you can have some kind of some crispy edges. You're not going to have a lot of bark forming, you know, when you cook something, when you're sort of barbecuing it and you got smoke coming around and this and that, that's when you have a, a bark sort of develop around your meat. When you're grilling like a hamburger, like a steak, you're just going to get some sear marks if you're lucky, because I usually don't get them, but you're going to get some sear on the outside, but you're not going to really get some bark around. Like if I were to do some ribs or pork belly or something like that. So the pellet cooker, you're, would you say most people that own a pellet cooker probably have some sort of grill as well? And are they, uh, when you have a pellet cooker and when you do these types of meats that would maybe benefit from grilling, would you ever, what am I trying to say? Would you pull that meat off at some point? Would you, would you grill it? You know, I've done that. <laughs> a lot I've, of work, isn't it? I mm, kind of, you know, the one thing about the pellet cooker is just the ease of use. You know, you don't have to do much. You just put it in there, dial the temperature. And so if I'm going to reverse sear something, that's a great spot to reverse sear. It. I can put it on there, smoke it, get it up to the temperature I want. Okay. I'll fire up the charcoals on the other side and, you know, and just kiss it with some fire on both sides, you know, and call it a day. Yeah. Cause you're literally probably just hitting a switch and dialing up a temperature on that trigger, or whatever pellet cooker you're using. Right. Exactly. Yeah. The other thing that, um, as I get a little up there in age and I learn from some of the older guys on the barbecue circuit, a pellet cooker helps you sleep at night. You just put it on there. Don't worry about anything. <laughs> and and I don't like to sleep a lot. Most of my friends know that, but I do need that same solid five or six hours though. Um, so I did want to also kind of explain that, um, KCBS out there, they talk about, you know, what is the K KCBS? Is that what you said? Can you explain that? Yeah. KCBS is the Kansas City Barbecue Society, and they are probably the nation's largest sanctioning body of barbecue competitions. Now, as far as I know from their literature, they don't ever say grilling anytime. And they typically have the, the, the big four meats. So it's going to be pork, uh, usually like pulled pork. It's going to be brisket. It's going to be ribs and it's going to be chicken. And the funny thing, when you said like earlier, we talked about the low and slow. There was a guy that I met on the competition circuit and he sells drum smokers, which is also one of my favorite cookers. But he developed a way to cook ribs. I think he was like in 2012 and he was getting his butt kicked on the competition circuit. And basically he learned that instead of trying to cook ribs low and slow, that he can hang them in a vertical drum and basically achieve the tenderness that he was looking for in a lot shorter time. And he's, he blew my mind because he wasn't even looking at what the temperature is. All he was looking for was making sure his fire was right. He didn't need a lot of wood. And so he may be cooking at 350, 400 degrees. And so on the competition circuit, so a lot of people kind of refer to this as hot and fast. So now you're cooking hot and fast and then it's like, now the question is, is this still barbecue? Because, you know, we're over our temperature we talk about. We're not low and slow anymore. You know what I mean? But we're still. I you, yeah, I fat. think if you achieve the flavor you're looking for and the texture of the meat, I, I think you've won. Great. Is it a barbecue? Or is it grilling? <laughs> <laughs> Good question. So... so 
you know, and, and I think on this, we will always use grilling and barbecue. And it, I think what we have kind of defined here, it's really hard to determine one or the other, you know, and I think that uh, it's a real good lesson for us is that like, there's nothing that defines, you know, something so static that you can't be artsy enough to do things different ways. So when you, you don't differentiate between the two, then when you're cooking, I don't even think about it. I, I mean, I feel like for a long time, I just call it smoking meat. See, I got to put those things in different boxes. I need to okay. be able to call it barbecue and I need to be call it, I need to call it grilling at some point. I know that's just me. That detail and that structure. I know. <laughs> but if you're, does it matter? I mean, can we just no, call it all that? Yeah, I don't think it matters. Um, I just, I just know in my household when I tell my wife that, hey, I'm going to barbecue on Sunday, she knows I'm getting out that Weber Smoky Mountain, but I grill during the week. <laughs> <laughs> Grill during the week, barbecue on the weekends. There you go. There you have it. Yeah. Call there first. <laughs> <laughs> now, I used to say that I, I'm just smoking meats, and I used to talk about how I'm smoking a lot. But then people kind of got the wrong ideas when I would say that. So I kind of got away from that. <laughs> um, but I did want to share some more about the KCBS Uh KCBS is Kansas City Barbecue Society, and they're just one of like many uh, sanctioning bodies that actually look at this, that hold competitions. And the uh, there is I think there's like the Florida Barbecue Association. I think there is another one in Texas. There's an IBS that that they hold different competitions and they all have different rules you know and it's in in texas the meats i think you cook is it's just three meats they don't cook pork ribs it's it's brisket and it's pork and it's chicken and when you do the chicken they want you to cook a half chicken basically all together and and even there what i always found interesting and i haven't attended any one of those competitions and i hope to one day but it's a people's choice and that's who determines who the winner is. See, that makes sense to me. Really? People's choice? Yeah. I mean, that's what it's about, right? But yeah. some masses, people like, like to go to barbecue places, and those barbecue places, you won't even step foot in, and they like him. So mm-hmm. is that the kind of people you want judging your I meat? see. So that's why the Olympics are not people's choice, right? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. So um, KCBS actually has a they they have a they have judges and then they actually have a judging program. So when I cooked in the KCBS competition and got my butt kicked, um, one, I learned about there is a California Barbecue Association and they have team of the year. They have rookie of the year and they have different awards and things like that. And so uh, you have to at least cook in three competitions to try to get rookie of the year. And so I've always had in the back of my mind that one of these days I'm going to put my team together. I have to set a bunch of money aside because it is a very expensive hobby to I'm going to go in up and down California and compete one season and see if I can't get rookie team of the year or something like that. But uh, but in the meantime, to keep my learning and to work on my game, I thought it'd be a great idea to get certified as a barbecue judge through KCBS. And so, uh, congratulations to me. I am certified as a barbecue judge. <laughs> I carry my card so whoa. that way you can see it. Whoa, whoa, whoa. How, how did you get such a thing? <laughs> well, you sign up for the class, you take the class, you know, and, uh, people and, and you eat some barbecue. <laughs> Have you judged a competition yet? I have not judged a competition, but I have judged many meats with the idea, especially my own meats, because I wanted to understand what are these judges looking for. And so typically they're looking for appearance and they're looking for taste 
and they're looking for tenderness, you know, and uh, I'd like to kind of sum it up right here because at the end of our class and before we could sort of take that final step to be judges, we had to take a barbecue oath. Wow, that sounds serious. Yeah. How did that go? It's very serious. And I take this to heart. So for now, excuse me, let me stand up. Let me salute the flag. (laughs) I do solemnly swear to objectively and subjectively evaluate each barbecue meat that is presented to my eyes, my nose, my hands, and my palate. I accept my duty to be an official KCBS certified judge so that truth, justice, excellence in barbecue, and the American way of life may be strengthened and preserved forever. I need to wipe the tear off my face. I'm inspired. Wow. It's an amazing thing. It's a great thing. I've never actually read that or heard that. And I didn't either until I went to that class and I thought it was pretty amazing. (laughs) (laughs) I I really see how serious that some of these people can take. And even this topic we're talking today about between difference between grilling and barbecue. And and one of the things I really want to kind of talk about, and I want to get your guys' feelings on this. It says at the beginning I solemnly swear to objectively and subjectively evaluate each barbecue meat. That seems like a catch all. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So what are you thinking about that? Objectively, that suggests that you've got some sort of boundaries or rules that you're trying or guidelines that are being followed that you're judging and Subjectively, I mean, is it good to you? I mean, yeah. Did you like it? <laughs> I I think you nailed it on the head, Wes. Yeah, I, the way it was presented to us at the class was, if you're presented with chicken breast in the chicken category instead of the chicken thigh with the amazing skin, <laughs> they say, "Hey, <laughs> I, I got I got real chicken thighs this week with the skin." With the skin. I got, and you're going to keep them? I got special approval based on last episode. <laughs> oh, that's <laughs> awesome. And so hopefully I can post some content soon for everybody. So excited. So excited. Next chicken skin sandwich. That's coming next. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, okay. Oh, sorry, so yeah, I interrupted you. <laughs> so, uh, so anyway, it was presented if somebody presents you a chicken breast instead of the luscious chicken thigh <laughs> with the great skin. <laughs> See, we're, we're not biased here against dark meat at all. <laughs> at all. <laughs> so, and that's the whole thing. Is it like, okay, I wouldn't want to make chicken breast for a competition, but I have to say, does it look good? Does it taste good? Is the texture good? You know, and then the flavors, especially within, and then that's the subjective part. Like I'm going to be objective, but I wouldn't want to eat my barbecue, like my barbecue chicken like this. Without the skin. Exactly. And, and the breast part, but so yeah, that I think you nailed it on the head objectively and subjectively. And it's like, it is kind of mind blowing, but it it explains some of the complications that you can talk about with barbecue. And I feel like that this is one of the things that as cooks that we know that, you know, there's a lot of different ways to get there. And there's a lot of different ways to sort of make something good, you know, and there's not just one way to cook something or one way to do something. And you can kind of get there multiple ways. Um, the next part that they kind of say here, and I try to, I try to talk about this a lot just while cooking, because I, I really believe that you need all your senses, but it says that the meat that is presented to my eyes, my nose, my hands and my palate, you know, and I think that's so interesting too. 
And I think, Wes, you said it. We eat with our eyes, right? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I think if you're presented with some ugly looking chicken without skin or, <laughs> you know, uh, discolored ribs or something, you know, I, it's kind of off-putting if it doesn't look right. It may taste great, but, you know, the first thing you do is you see it, right? Yeah. And then you maybe smell it and then you're going to put your hands on it and taste it. Yeah. When you see that lemon all charred up, you know what I mean? It's like your mouth starts to water right before you even do anything. Yeah. You know, it's going to be good. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. So, so yeah, back to this oath, I, I I don't know. I, I really was tickled with this, kind of learned about this, uh, you know, when we did that. And uh, the class was taught by two people that are in the California Barbecue Association Hall of Fame. Wow. Hall of Fame. Yeah. It's a uh, it gets pretty deep out there, you know, but. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Is that a uh, choice, too? I'm kidding. No. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's kind of interesting. Uh, so anyways, uh, back to where do we really end up with this grilling and barbecue? Has this anything I shared with you changed your mind? Well, have we decided what's grilling and what's barbecue? That's kind of what we're trying to figure out right now. Yeah. I don't think we have, but I think that's okay. <laughs> okay. You want to expand on that, Frankie? You know, I think it goes back to, you know, what we said in our last episode. And I think what we continue to preach in, in our on our website and in our content is that barbecue is and grilling is all meant to be enjoyed by the people around you. And if they're enjoying it, you're winning it. And if it's called grilling or barbecue, it doesn't matter. It's subjectively, do we like it? <laughs> is it good? Yeah. That's well, back to that. well I, I, I can't follow that up. I, I think you nailed it on the head. Boom. Well, Frankie, I think that was well said. I think you really captured the whole mission and our core values of this podcast and what it is that we're trying to bring to our listeners. And I encourage you more to look at grillcoach.com and just look out for our content. And we're going to kind of keep coming with the same thing where there's not a lot of hard and fast rules, but we believe that this is really to help you create those memories. This is for you to win with the people around you. Um, with that in mind, Jay, um, I had one last question for you. Uh, actually, it came from some of our listeners. Uh, a lot of people were asking for recipes. So I was curious, could you, uh, maybe in the theme of our last episode, which would be the three simple items, um, could you talk about something that you cooked in a little bit of detail for our listeners? Absolutely. So I was requested by my sister-in-law to cook some chicken breasts for her birthday. So we had some chicken breasts, some vegetables, and we wanted to sort of just take care of that. I got the chicken breasts. And first thing I do is I want to trim. I don't want no fat around that chicken breast. And so that's where I need that good knife. So real quick, chicken breast, fat, really? Where, where is it? You know, it, it's it's sometimes hanging off the sides. You know what I mean? When you, when you get that, when they take that chicken breast, sometimes even pieces of the rib bone will be there still too. But it, it, there will be some stuff around there. But all meats you should look for and look to trim it up. The... So that's the knife that, that I use. That's one of kind of the simple things there. And then especially chicken breast, that window is very small of when it's done, when it's juicy. So it's really important that I get a dry brine on that. And so I dry brine that for at least an hour, you know, preferably three to four hours. But once I didn't dry brine that and pull that out, again, all the salt has sort of dissolved from there. Kosher salt, right? Kosher salt. Absolute must. They got to be kosher salt. So all that salt is gone. And then what I did then is I actually added another rub, but something that didn't have as much salt, something that I tasted. 
And I'm looking for just trying to think about the entire meal and try to think about what kind of plate flavor profile I wanted to use. And so what I used with them, I believe I used, it was a buttery steakhouse from Kinder's that uh, I learned from you, Wes. That was a good one. I had to get one of my own. Very fragrant, you know, very succulent. And it, it's it's delicious. And it, I think it pairs well with chicken for sure. I agree. Um, so I put some of that on. That one can get a little salty. So it's, again, I'm trying to be careful with that. And then so uh, now from there, after I cooked it and I reverse seared it as well, because uh, we reverse, I reverse sear mostly everything. So what, what temps are we talking on the reverse sear? So that one, because it's chicken breast and I, I really worry about chicken and how well done it is. Something like chicken breast, when you put it on the direct side, there's not a lot of fat there. So there's not a lot that's going to char up like chicken wings or something like that. But um, so I keep that on the indirect side for quite a long time. But really what I'm trying to just look for, I'm trying to want to get the whole temperature of that breast to sort of come up. And, and I'm trying to get it to 165 to 180. 180 is usually with like dark meat. 165, you know, it's kind of like when you start pulling that off with white meat for sure. So when you move it from indirect to direct, you're moving it at 165? I, I, I mix it up a little bit because the temperatures of the chicken, I'm, I'm only really looking at that at the end, but really kind of like, what I'm looking for first, I'm looking for just the formation of of the skin and the browning of the skin. And so I'm kind of looking at it from there, from that point of view. And I'm only really in this case, when I cook chicken breast, I'm only looking for the temperature at the final. So I, it's not very mechanical, like like a steak or like with the with the burger. Um, and uh, the temperature, when I kind of pull it off, kind of once I'm there, and you know, uh, I want to kind of pull that off, and I, I do want to let it rest for a little while. And and I feel like, especially with chicken breast, this is again why you need a good knife, <clears throat> because when it's time to cut it, I want to cut against the grain. I make real nice slices. As long as you cut them against the grain like that, it will keep the the grains. It'll keep tender as you as you eat off pieces of there. How, how long usually are you resting your chicken? I, I, I don't really kind of go with the time. Once I kind of pull that off, I know it's in my mind that, okay, it's going to sit there. So I might do some other things and kind of get some other stuff ready. Let me rephrase and it. How long is too long? I just don't want it to get cold. I don't want it to get room temperature. So I still want it to be warm when I'm cutting it. So maybe five minutes. And five minutes is probably a good, a good average or at least at least a good guideline but uh i probably don't let it rest that long because again i'm worried about it cooling off too much but um i like to serve it and i like to like i said get some real thin slices against the grain right along there and then that chicken breast is is then it's moist and it's juicy and and it sort of fall apart it's not it doesn't get real stringy you know, and it's an excellent like compliment to like, you know, the fresh vegetables and stuff like that. Um, I did top it with a mustard based barbecue sauce that I whipped up real quick. And so, um, you mm. know, I mix up with some apple cider vinegar, some mustard, some brown sugar, some some onion powder, some Tabasco sauce and then some salt and pepper. And sort of just mix it in a bowl real quick, serve it cold, and I'll cook that one. And, and and it's very pungent and but sweet. And again, it's it's a good compliment. So it's just like you don't need a whole lot of sauce like that. And so then I just kind of drizzled that on top of the chicken breast to finish it off. That sounds great. It was pretty good, even though chicken breast is not my favorite. But <laughs> objectively, I liked it. See, I, I, I do like chicken breast occasionally, but yeah, I do prefer, I do prefer the other cuts of the chicken, but uh, All right. thank you for that, Jay. Appreciate that. Um, 
Okay, well, did like to thank everybody for listening to another episode of the Grill Coach Podcast. And please join us at our website, grillcoach.com. And keep looking out. Keep supporting us for uh, the future episodes and more content on the show. And email us in. Let us know what you need. Hit us up on our social media and reach out to the show. And we can uh, we can respond and get you what you need. And remember, never miss an opportunity to get outside the grill. And don't forget to check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at The Grill Coach. Also, check out our blog at thegrillcoach.com for more episodes of our podcast, as well as other great grilling-related content. Oh, yes, it's about that time to light it up and go outside. We're chilling, grilling up sides and drinks, rubs and recipes and cooking techniques. Outdoor cooking, grilling, smoke and barbecue. So much flavor to teach and learn and share with you. Grill Coaches Podcast to level up your game with Frankie, Wes, and Jay.